Okay, it's not working. That's what's happening. So many technical things all the time. This is what happens when you're doing it yourself. And you don't have a team of people doing it for you. Okay, so it says that it's unmuted. Okay, all right, guys. It seems like people can hear me now. Okay, good. Sweet. Welcome, everybody. This is Tour Apologetics. This is part of our Tour. Um, this is our Tour series, Tour portion series, a part of our Tour Apologetics um, here in Kingdom Context. And the, the goal here is that we want you to be able to um, be. You gotta, you know, you can defend His truth by knowing His word. It's really that simple. So you have to go through the motions of learning His word, and that's just something that we're not always taught at uh at traditional mainstream churches so that's why it's a passion of ours to help people understand the word not just memorize it but understand it so that you can have uh, full comprehension and you can you know flow in and out of explaining your faith to people very easily and in all situations that's kind of our goal so i want to thank everyone that's already here in the live chat cover to cover with jeremy pierce is here kim ray win feather colin crockett Rashai kim is back chico 1985 eddie steckinger master soup hannibal jeremiah fifteen sixteen. Jason T, Mark Allen, welcome back, everybody. The line with Dennis is here. Welcome, welcome, brother. I um, also saw any G's back. Welcome. Laura Maz, Tom is back. Tom Kolchitsky, brother, I hope I said that right. I haven't practiced it. Kolchitsky, Tom Kolchitsky. Um, it's a tongue twister. Welcome, everybody. Okay, so we want we want to uh, just if you have the opportunity, fo uh, folks, if the Father puts it on your heart, I want you to consider looking in the video description below. Our brother Jason Shepard, he's a member of our audience, uh, and he's been with us for a while. And he's uh, fell sick; he's in the hospital, and he needs your prayers. And he's also the you know the sole breadwinner of his family. So if you, there is a a link to a GoFundMe for him down below, if you have if Father puts it on your heart. You want to go to that link you're able to support his family right now while he can't work so um if you guys just lift him up in prayer and lift him up with support if you if you have uh, the opportunity all right guys i really appreciate that okay so i've got a weird there's no i don't understand there's no trash in here so i've got this weird fly issue happening with like we had last week or last night. It's weird. All right, guys. Um, let's look at something real quick as a just as a blessing. I just hope to bless you guys. This is from way back. This is gonna go back from about 20 years ago. A little throwback to some praise. And I want to share with you guys in case you never heard of it. I think it's a I mean it's a nice song, uplifting, and hopefully you'll enjoy it too. One second here, let me get it get it running. Make sure your patience. Why is it not working? There it goes. All right. Let's try this. Let's try this now.
good good stuff there from delirious from like 2001 2000 uh it's a band from the uk they're like a praise and worship band that kind of blew up and got a lot of attention because they had a kind of a modern hip sound you know but clearly this is you know people have hearts for the father they want to praise him and uh it's so funny that um you know good buddy of mine ken heiderbrecht and i we, we've spoken about this concept for years about the idea that there's so many talented songwriters out there that that want to know god that have a heart for god and um they just don't have uh all they don't always have like the best theology though and it's it's sad because they're not you know so imagine you become a believer you come into the faith and um you are excited about god you have a, a heart for god but like you're at a church where they're just not teaching you good theology you know what i mean so that means that whatever songs you're going to try to make out of the goodness of your heart is going to be kind of uh affected by that bad super bad theology so um you know that i as hopefully as you guys have already seen here on kingdom in context like we try to extend and love ourselves as brothers in the faith and sisters in the faith to everyone out there regardless of what point of their understanding of god they're in you know when paul was going around to the different converts as you see in his letters but whether it's thessalonica philippi the Col uh, colossi um the romans you know what the Corinthians, okay, so all the different people that he's writing letters to—they're all at different stages in their in their understanding of God. You know, to the Romans, he's like he's boy, he's getting deep. Uh, he's he's laying it in deep. Whoever he was speaking in uh, in that regard, but to uh, the Corinthians, he's having to bring them back to the basics because they're you know they're forgetting a lot of stuff. Um, he seems to be congratulatory to, to the Philippians. Um, you know, just things like that. The Ephesians, he starts talking about deeper things um, about the foreknowledge of God and and just, you know, so the point is he is um, he's having to address different people on different levels where they're at. And so we, we do the same in our walk, you know, every day all, all throughout our life as we encounter different believers and their different places in their walk with the father, different levels of understanding. And so the, what the father doesn't want is us to create division over us having different understandings. He wants us to go and say, Oh man, that's awesome. So you have a different perspective. Okay. Well, let's look at the word together. Um, if they're willing, you know, if they're not pray for them, but to me, that's, that's why you try to see me do all these debates and everything. And, and I, I hate to even call them debates cause that's not my heart. I would rather just have a, a friendly discussion. And, but unfortunately sometimes people get combative and they want to make it more of a debate. And I just want to say, let's just talk about the scriptures together. Obviously we disagree on some things. Let's figure out why. If we can both articulate our viewpoints, I promise you, well, not only will we find out we're not that far apart, but we'll also find out that there's probably a correct answer that one of us could find in the scriptures. And so that's that's kind of my heart. Um, but with all that said, there is a uh, another guy that if if no one I've mentioned him before, and if no one is uh, aware of who this is, I just want to, I guess, give you some exposure to the guy. I, I've actually met this guy personally. I used to live in Oklahoma and um, he's a worship leader at one of the churches in Oklahoma City and um, he's just really super talented great guy um, he's got some good music he's been doing it since like 1996 and uh, he has a this this one particular music that he actually does in in this old house and so uh, the band that he has they're all playing these unique little these these unique little instruments as he walks through the house and films this. So it's not like the best filming quality, but it's a really great song. Hopefully you'll, you'll enjoy it. And then after this, we'll jump right into the scriptures for everybody. 
And so let me pull this up. This is uh, by a guy named Charlie Hall. And this is a song he wrote, um, I don't know, probably 15 years ago, but it's called Mystery. And it's, um, I think you'll enjoy it. Here it goes.
Yeah. Yeah. He's a blessing. He's a super talented guy. He's a guy named Charlie Hall from Oklahoma. And uh, he's just making a lot of music. Like I said, you, you know, I, I don't remember every single lyric and every single words of his song, uh, of all of his songs. He's got several albums out, but um, I mean, incredibly talented music. Uh, he's got a heart for the father. And so hopefully, you know, might open up your, your, uh, your music taste and, and uh, expose you to something good out there. So um, guys, let's jump right into our tour portions. Today we're going to be looking at number 33 through 36. And numbers 33. Says, These are the journeys of the Israelites when they came out of the land of Egypt by their divisions under the leadership of Moses and Aaron. At the Lord's command, Moses recorded the stages of their journey. These are the stages listed by their starting points. On the 15th day of the first month, on the day after the Passover, the Israelites set out from Ramesses and marched out defiantly in full view of all the Egyptians who were buying, burying all their firstborn, whom the Lord had struck down among them. For the Lord had executed judgment against their gods. The Israelites set out from the Remesis and camped at Sukkot. They set out from Sukkot and camped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. Um, this, I'm going to take a quick moment to stop real quick. This uh, is pretty fascinating to me that they leave the land of which they were in oppression under Egypt and go directly to Sukkot. I think this is beautiful because, you know, this is what we see at the resurrection. I've actually done a video uh, as one of my like first appearances on YouTube. I did 24 parallels to the second coming and Passover. And this was one of the parallels is that right after the Passover, they go right to their tabernacle, which is what we do. Um, and, and we actually resurrected from the dead. The day of the Lord will be taken by angels to our to Sukkot, to our tabernacle. Uh, the place is prepared for us so that we are um, removed from the wrath of the lamb because he's going to be coming down with warrior angels um, to fight the wicked and all the kings of the earth, Satan, the beast, and the, and the false prophet that have aligned all themselves to try to fight him at his return. So this is where we're, we're going to be removed from all that and we're taken to our place of safety, to our place of Sukkot as we're pulled out of you know, mystery Babylon and we're pulled out of spiritual Egypt and Sodom and, and we're pulled out of the earth essentially for that moment. Now, as in, the new Jerusalem does come back down and under my estimation, it's uh, about seven days. It starts to afterwards after seven days, it's going to start descending to the earth. Um, but we have to get away from the wrath of the lamb. And so just like in the, in the story here of, them coming out of the Exodus, they're pulled away from the wrath that was coming upon the Egyptian gods that affected the people as well. And the Israelites were spared from that. They were saved and they were taken to Tabernacle. They're taken to their Sukkot. So I think it's really beautiful. So we'll keep going here. Verse um, six, uh, let's go to verse seven. They set out from Etham and turned back to Pahahiroth. I don't think I said that right. Opposite Belzephon and they camped near Migdal. They set out from Pahahiroth and crossed through the sea into the wilderness, and they journeyed three days into the wilderness of Etham and camped at Marah. They set out from Marah and came to Elam, where there were twelve springs and seventy palm trees, and they camped there. They set out from Elam and camped by the Red Sea. They set out from the Red Sea and camped in the desert of Sin. They set out from the desert of Sin and camped at Dovka. They set out from Dovka and camped at Alush. They set out from Alush and camped at Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. So they set out from Rephidim and camped in the wilderness of Sinai. They set out from the wilderness of Sinai and camped at Kibroth Hatavah. They set out from Kibroth Hatavah and camped at Hezerot. They set out from Hezerot and camped at Rithma. They set out from Rithma and camped at Ramon Perez. They set out from Ramon Perez and camped at Libna. They set out from Libna and camped at Riza. And no, that's that's just uh, that's not one of the uh, Wu Tang clan. They set out from Riza and camped at Kehelatat 
they set out from Kehlatat and they camped at Mount Zephar. They set out from Mount Shafar, Shefer, and camped at Harada. They set out from Harada and camped at Machelot. Machelot. <laughs> they set out from Machelot and camped at Tahat. They set out from Tahat and camped at Terra. They set out from Terra, they camped at Mithka. They set out from Mithka and they camped at Hashmona. They set out from Hashmona and camped at Mozarat. They set out from Mozarat and camped at Bene Jakan. They set out from Bene Jakan and camped at Hor Hagadad. Hor Hagadad. Hagadad. Yeah, man, that's tough to say. I wonder if it's easier to say in the original language as opposed to being transliterated. They set out from Hor Hagagag and, and camped at uh, Jatbata. Uh, they set out from Jatbata and camped at Abrona. And they set out from Abrona and camped at Ezion Geber. They set out from Ezion Geber and camped at Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. They set out from Kadesh and camped at Mount Or on the outskirts of the land of Edom. And at the Lord's command, Aaron the priest climbed to Mount Or and died there on the first day of the first month in the 40th year after the Israelites had come out of the land of Egypt. Now, just in case you've missed previous portions, I, <laughs> the wording seems a little strange here, guys, but it's not like the Lord said, hey, die on this mountain. He tells Aaron, hey, you're going to die soon. Go up to this mountain. This is where I want you to This is where I want you to pass away, basically. So it's kind of interesting that he climbs this mountain at the end of his life, and I, I think that's fascinating. But um, just the wording when it comes into the English looks a little, little unique. Verse 39, Aaron was 123 years old when he died in Mount Or. Now the Canaanite king of Arad, who lived in the Negev in the land of Canaan, he heard that the Israelites were coming. And the Israelites set out from Mount Or and camped at Zalmanona, Zalmana. They set out from Zalmana and camped at Punan. They set out from Banan and camped at Obat. They set out from Obat and camped at Ai Abarim on the border of Moab. They set out from Aim and camped at Dibon Gad. They set out from Dibon Gad and camped at Almon Deblathame. They set out from Almon Deblathame and camped in the mountains of Abarim facing Nebo. They set out from the mountains of Abarim and camped on the mountain of the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And there on the plains of Moab, they camped by the Jordan from Beth, from Beth Jeshemot to Abel Shittim. On the, on the plains of Moab, by the Jordan, across from the Jericho, the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, you must drive out before you all the inhabitants of the land, destroy all their carved images and cast idols, demolish all their high places. You are to take possession of the land and settle in it, for I have given you the land to possess. You are to divide the land by lot according to your clans. Give a larger inheritance to a larger clan and a smaller inheritance to a smaller one. Whatever falls to each one by lot will be his. You will receive an inheritance according to the tribes of your fathers. But if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land before you, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your sides. They will harass you in the land where you settle. And then I will do to you what I had planned to do to them. So guys, a, a lot of um, a lot of folks wonder what it is to cast lots. And we actually talked about this in one of our Jubilees videos. Um, where it's basically, it's it's kind of like, um, I think it's in Jubilees chapter 9, It's uh, Noah puts like in his bosom, he puts, the that's the place, I don't know if they put it on paper, I don't know if they, they wrote it on a stone or a stick or whatever, but it seemed to be like, you know, you put your, put your hand in a hat and draw out, draw out something, and so it seems like that's how they cast lots, is that they would reach their hand into the bosom of Noah, the children and the grandchildren of Noah, when they cast lots for their land divisions of the earth, they would reach into the bosom of Noah and pull out. So it seems to be that, you know, that's the same um, system here. Obviously, as Yahweh instructs them, make sure you give a larger inheritance to the larger clans and, and uh, make it appropriate to some regard. 
don't make it to be like, you know, the smallest clan like Simeon gets all the territory of Manasseh, which was huge. So you wouldn't want to do that. Um, so the point is, it's it's interesting that there is a, a system of, of uh, it's not completely controlled by the decision of Moses, because if you're casting lots, there's, you know, in modern day, they would call it chance, but I would say the father is, is helping control that process um, because they can't see what they're grabbing at. But then as well as they want to make sure that there is a, a bit of appropriation to the size of the clans. Now, if you also look in verse 55 and 56, he's talking about uh, if you don't drive out the other inhabitants of the land, they'll become like barbs in your eyes and a thorn in your side. They'll harass you in the land where you settle. This is where I get my theory from uh, you guys may have heard me talk about this in the past when Paul talks about having a thorn in his side, a thorn in the flesh. Um, this is where I get that idea. And it was, and I believe it was the party of circumcision that was following him around trying to convert those he had converted. Um, because this was, you know, this type of Judaism that was going on amongst the Pharisees that day, especially with Paul being former Pharisee, they hated Paul. And so they were following him around and, after he made converts in the different regions, they would then go in and go, oh, well, look, they already believe in God. So we know they believe in God. They just believe in the Yeshua. So we need to get them away from believing in Yeshua. We'll convert them to Judaism. Um, it's basically the first anti-missionaries. And they um, they also harassed Paul physically. And he was whipped, uh, undergoing physical, physical punishment by them. Um, I wouldn't say punishment. That's the wrong word because it's almost like he... He never submitted to their authority, but they basically were like the brute squad and they, they, they captured him and beat him several times. Um, and so they also antagonized the people he was trying to evangelize and tell truth to. And so that's the way I see him using that terminology from numbers 33 is that it's similar to all the enemies that were not removed from the land of promise of the land of Canaan, that that were allowed to persist over certain hundreds. That's why we see in the book of judges, like there's constant strife and battling. Um, we're going to, I mean, you see it all the way up into the days of David. Um, it just, it's always continually a thorn. And this is, they don't, they don't get out all the people they were supposed to. And so there's these troublesome areas that are always antagonistic against Israel uh, because they worship a different God and they have very, very different behavior. They're doing occult, occult behaviors. So uh, this is why the father's warning them. If you don't get them out, they're going to harass you wherever you settle. And they'll be like a thorn in your side or a barb in your eyes. So if we go in here to um, Numbers 34. And guys, today I'm going to actually put up the the link. Let me uh, put this back up here for a minute. Today I will put up the link a little bit later after we go through some of the bulk of this. And if anyone wants to call in and ask me questions live, you're welcome to do that. You can also, as always, we'll take questions at the end of the broadcast in the live chat as well. Please hold your questions in the chat until we get to the end of the broadcast. And uh, and also be reminded if you do want to use the link to call in that you're going to be on camera. So make sure you're ready to be on camera. Okay. So let's look at this real quick. This is Numbers 34, 1 through 6. Then the Lord said to Moses, Command the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land of Canaan, it will be allotted to you as inheritance with these boundaries. Your southern border will extend from the wilderness of Zen along the border of Edom. On the east, your southern border will run from the end of the Salt Sea, cross south of the ascent of Akrabim, continue to Zen, and go south of Kadesh Barnea. Then it will go on to Hazar Adar and proceed to Asmon, where it will turn from Asmon, join the brook of Egypt, and end at the sea. Your western border will be the coastline of the Great Sea, and this will be your boundary on the west. Your northern border will run from the Great Sea directly to Mount Or and from Mount Or to Libo Hamat, then extend to Zedad, continue to Zifron, and end at Hazar Inan. This will be your boundary on the north, and your eastern border will run straight from Hazar Inan to Shafam. Then go down from Shafam to Ribla on the east side of Ain and continue along the slopes east of the Sea of Chenaret. 
Then the border will go down along the Jordan and end at the Salt Sea. This will be your land, defined by its borders on all sides. So Moses commanded the Israelites to portion this land by lot as an inheritance. The Lord has commanded that it be given to the nine and a half tribes. For the tribes of Reubenites and Gadites, along with the half-tribe of Manasseh, have already received their inheritance. These two and a half tribes have received their inheritance across the Jordan from Jericho toward the sunrise. Then the Lord said to Moses, These are the names of the men who are to assign the land as an inheritance for you. Eliezer the priest and Joshua the son of Nun. Now guys, this is, and I don't like to do this a lot, uh, but just for fun, just want to encourage you guys. Um, some of the names, I think this is interesting. Um, this idea of, uh, you know, the Lord is your salvation. The name of Joshua, Eliezer, means helped by God. And then in the Hebrew, the Nun, the Nun is, uh, it's it's interesting because it's a, um, the, one of their letters in their alphabet, but it's symbolically they represent it as a seed. So I think it's fascinating. If you read uh, this, these two top leaders right here in this moment, you would have helped by God, the priest, Yahshua, you know, Yahweh is your salvation, who's the, the son of the seed. So obviously, Yehoshua, Joshua, that's going to be your salvation comes from the son of the seed. He's going to be helped by God, who's the priest. I think that this is fascinating because it's like all this in company. By the way, I've, I've done teachings in the past on how this, this constant reference to the seed in the, uh, Genesis is the reference to the priesthood. And this is why Eve talks about having Seth, uh, excuse me, Seth to replace Abel. She's like, the Lord has given me another seed. So this is where you have all these promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob about I will written from amongst you, the seed will come, you know, who will make this covenant a reality. So, yes, this is I just, just kind of fun, kind of interesting to consider. Um, all right, let's look at this real quick. 18, appoint one leader from each tribe to distribute the land. These are their names. Caleb, son of Jephunneh, from the tribe of Judah. Shemiel, son of Amihud, from the tribe of Simeon. Elidad, son of Chislon, from the tribe of Benjamin. Uh, Bucky, I don't know if his name is Bucky. It might be Bukai, I don't know. Bucky, son of Jogli, a leader from the tribe of Dan. Haniel, son of Ephod, a leader from the tribe of Manasseh, the son of Joseph. Kimiel, the son of Shiphtan, a leader from the tribe of Ephraim. Elizaphan, the son of Panak, a leader from the tribe of Zebulun. Paltiel, the son of Azan, a leader from the tribe of Issachar. Ahihud, son of Shalomi, a leader from the tribe of Asher. A Pedahalel, I don't Pedahel, the son of Amihud, a leader from the tribe of Naphtali. These are the ones whom the Lord commanded to apportion the inheritance of Israelites in the land of Canaan. All right, Numbers 35. Verse 1, again, the Lord spoke to Moses on the plains of Moab by the Jordan, across from Jericho. Command the Israelites to give from the inheritance they will possess, cities for the Levites to live in, and pasture lands around the cities. The cities will be for them to live in, and the pasture lands will be for their herds, their flocks, and all their livestock. The pasture lands around the cities you are to give the Levites will extend a thousand cubits from the wall on every side. You are also to measure two thousand cubits outside the city on the east, two thousand on the south, two thousand on the west, and two thousand on the north, with the city in the center. These areas will serve as large er pasture lands for the cities. Six of the cities you give the Levites are to be appointed as cities of refuge to which a manslayer may flee. In addition to these, give the Levites forty-two other cities. The total number of cities you give the Levites will be forty-eight, with their corresponding pasture lands. The cities that you apportion from the territory of the Israelites should be given to the Levites in proportion to the inheritance of each tribe, more from a larger tribe and less from a smaller one. Then the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the Israelites and tell them, When you cross the Jordan into the land of Canaan, 
designate cities to serve as cities of refuge so that a person who kills someone unintentionally may flee there. You are to have these cities as a refuge from the Avenger so that the Manslayer will not die until he stands trial before the assembly. The cities you select will be your six cities of refuge. Select the three cities across the Jordan and three in the land of Canaan as cities of refuge. These six cities will serve as refuge for the Israelites and the foreigner or stranger among them so that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there. Did you guys catch that? Look at verse 15. These six cities will serve as a refuge for the Israelites and for the foreigner or stranger among them so that anyone who kills a person unintentionally may flee there. Remember, we always understand that the Father has one law. His instructions for how you behave amongst yourself and how you worship Him. There's one law, whether you're born native of Israel or whether you've been grafted in because you were born from a different uh, different tribe of people. But once you're grafted in, obviously, you're still, you're still grafted in. But even if someone's not grafted in, but they're living in your borders for whatever reason, um, there's still one law that you're to abide by. And so this is where he's trying to foment and create in their minds peace amongst the people that they're interacting with, right? Who's your neighbor? And then Yeshua talks about the Samaritans, whom the Israelites thought were not, they're an amalgamation of peoples that came in um, in the three to 400 years before the days of Yeshua. So the, the actual people of Judah um, that had come back from Babylon, they didn't like the Samaritans over time. The Samaritans didn't like them. That's why they, at, at one point, had built their own temple, and it got destroyed by the Greeks. And so this is why in John 4, Yeshua is having that conversation with the woman at the well about where are we going to worship? You know, is it going to be in Samaria? Is it going to be in Jerusalem? And so because there was this contention there at the time. But that means that the people of Judah should have treated the Samaritans as their neighbor because there's one law for those who are living in the land. And this is you know the mindset that Yeshua is trying to correct with that parable. So with that, verse 17 says, and that's going to matter later, guys. That's why I'm kind of pointing it out. Or verse 16 says, If however anyone strikes a person with an iron object and kills him, he's a murderer. The murderer must surely be put to death. Or if anyone has in his hand a stone of deadly size and he strikes and kills another, he's a murderer. The murderer must surely be put to death. If anyone has in his hand a deadly object of wood and he strikes and kills another, he is a murderer. The murderer must surely be put to death. The avenger of blood is to put the murderer to death. When he finds him, he is to kill him. Likewise, if anyone maliciously pushes another or intentionally throws an object at him and kills him, or if in hostility he strikes him with his hand and he dies, the one who struck him must surely be put to death. He is a murderer. When the avenger of blood finds the murderer, he is to kill him. But if anyone pushes this person suddenly, without hostility, or throws an object at him unintentionally, or without looking, he drops a heavy stone that kills him, but he was not an enemy, he did not intend to harm him, and then the congregation must judge between the slayer and the avenger of blood according to these ordinances. So there is a caveat in here, just in case, you know, it's an accident. Just in case you, this, you know, just accidentally killed somebody. This is not intentional murder. Okay. So, verse 20, 25 says, The assembly is to protect the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood. And guys, just a, I don't, it doesn't cover it too much in this particular portion, but the Avenger blood was supposed to be next of kin. That's someone in your family that would go and they would take care of the person that murdered your family member. So this is why that person, the moment that family member was murdered, the Avenger of blood kicks in and he's looking for the dude that, that committed the crime. Um, this, there was no, you know, the priest didn't get involved yet. It was, this was, um, the, the justice that the father allows the family to take on the criminal. Now, we live in a completely different society today, but back then, they didn't have prisons. 
there's no place where they just locked you up. That was a that was a thing amongst the other nations, the dungeons and the prisons. In Israel, there's <laughs> there's a refuge city, or there's death at the hands of the avenger of blood. So it, they, they took care of these things quickly. So verse 25, it says, The assembly is to protect the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and then the assembly will return to him to the city. The assembly will return him to the city of refuge to which he fled, and he must live there until the death of the high priest, who was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer ever goes outside the limits of the city of refuge to which he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside of his city of refuge and kills him, the avenger will not be guilty of bloodshed, because the manslayer must remain in his city of refuge until the day until the death of the high priest. Only after the death of the high priest may he return to the land he owns. This will be a statutory ordinance for you for the generations to come wherever you live. So guys, in a sense, he is detained, but he's detained inside of a city. And by the way, this is a city full of Levites. So they're supposed to all know the law of God. So that means whatever circumstances, if, if this is truly an accident, okay, um, then he's safe and protected. If it's not an accident, he's living amongst around an entire people group that's supposed to know the law. So his behavior is going to be very, very contrary, very quickly, very noticeable, very quickly. And also, the, he still can, by the assembly, can still judge whether or not he needs to be handed over to the avenger of blood. So just because someone ran to the man, to the city of refuge doesn't mean that they were innocent. They could have still been guilty, but just tried to play as, as they were innocent. And then the facts were determined. They investigate the matter fully, as it explains in Deuteronomy. And then their hand, he can actually be handed back over to the avenger of blood. Um, so there was, you know, they actually do some investigation. This isn't just um, an easy out for someone that actually committed a crime. But I think it's just interesting that he has to stay in that place of detainment. If it's an accident, he still has to pay some sort of penalty by staying in that place of detainment in that different city until the high priest of Israel dies. So that could be six months, could be a year, could be 20 years, depends on how long the guy lives. <laughs> so this is, you know, this is a situation. But the point is, it gives um, it gives time. For the family, especially if it's an accident, it gives time for the family's emotions to die down because, yeah, I'm, I'm sure that family, even even if it's an accident, the family is completely distraught. They're, you know, they're full of anger and rage. They lost a family member that people go through a wide range of emotions. And so, you know, that they need the father is mercifully showing for a way that peace can be maintained and that the family member can have time to relax and go through the motions of grieving and mourning, uh, be, not have to worry about where's this guy at, what's he doing? Because he knows that the, the, all the Levites who are set apart in a city for the Levites specifically, um, they got to watch over this guy. Basically, you know, they know they got tabs on where he is and what's going on. So, um, yeah, there's just a whole bunch of scenarios that go into this, a whole bunch of different, um, a whole bunch of different angles that are covered by this system. I think it's a really beautiful system that the father put together. Sorry, guys. I got some people outside barking, some dogs. One second, guys. So these are live. These are live. So I got neighbors doing things, people out there talking. I got the, the garage doors open so that we could try to take care of this fly issue. It's a beautiful day, beautiful weather today. So essentially, um, 
It says the assembly is to protect the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood. Then the assembly will return him to the city to which he fled. And he must live there until the death of the high priest. He was anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer ever goes outside the limits of the city of refuge to which he fled, the avenger of blood finds him outside the outside of his city and of refuge and kills him. Then the avenger will not be guilty of bloodshed because the manslayer must remain in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. Only after the death of the high priest may he return to the land he owns. This will be a statutory ordinance for you in the generations to come wherever you live. Verse 30, if anyone kills a person, the murderer is to be put to death on the testimony of the witnesses. But no one is to be put to death based on the testimony of a lone witness. You are not to accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who deserves to die. He must surely be put to death. Nor should you accept a ransom for the person who flees to a city of refuge and allow him to return and live in his own land before the death of the high priest. Do not pollute the land where you live, for bloodshed pollutes the land, and no atonement can be made for the land on which the blood is shed, except by the blood of the one who shed it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell amongst the Israelites. Now, guys, this interesting right here, okay, and this is where we have some of our companion passages. We're going to dive into this this portion. This particular verse, uh, verses 30 through 34, um, we didn't really focus in on this the last time that we went over these during our kingdom portions. But that's why I chose this year going through the companion passages. We're going to look at it deeper because there's some amazing stuff in here as far as how we see this particular passage played out in the rest of Scripture and how the Father takes very seriously verse 34 and 33 and 34. It says, do not pollute the land where you live for bloodshed pollutes the land. No atonement can be made for the land on which the blood is shed except for the blood of the one who shed it. So this is really interesting. It says, do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, for I, the Lord, dwell amongst the Israelites. All right, so the idea in verse 30 through 32 is he says, if anyone kills a person, the murderer is to be put to death in testimony of two witnesses, not just one witness. Verse 31, you're not to accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who deserves to die. He must surely be put to death. Nor should you accept a ransom for the person who flees to a city of refuge and allow him to return and live in his own land before the death of the high priest. Why? Because... Why would you accept a ransom for someone in the life of murder who deserves to die, right? That means you're bribing a judge through the process of paying a ransom for his for his soul, basically for his life, um, according to the priesthood, because that was the judge. So and you'd be paying like a temple ransom for this guy when that it's inappropriate and out of context is the idea. The father's trying to say, like, the only context that involves this dude is the penalty I've outlined for a murderer who's guilty. He's to die. Don't let him don't let him live out the rest of his life and don't let him get away with this by paying a ransom to the temple for him. That's not how this works. Right. Then he has to go into another caveat to say, nor will you be nor should you accept a ransom for the person who flees to a city and allow him to return to his own live. Basically, if he is, if it's, even if it's an accident or if it's deemed an accident and the manslayer goes to the city of refuge and he's allowed to live there, he can't leave before the high priest dies because you paid a ransom for him. Or you paid a ransom to anyone. You can't you can't pay for this guy's uh, quote unquote freedom uh, to to return back to the land of of his family inheritance like normal through a ransom. And we're going to see how this actually plays out as something that happens between the Israelites and and the Gibeonites here later. It's pretty pretty crazy. So this is where we're going to kind of set this up a little bit. Exodus twenty three thirty one through thirty three. 
He says, I will establish your borders. This is Yahweh explaining to the Israelites as he's pulling them out of Egypt. I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the Euphrates. Just like we read earlier, right? This is what he does tell Moses. This will be established. And he goes into much, much greater depth than Exodus 23, 31. But we read all that in Numbers 30, 33, 34. He says, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the Euphrates, for I will deliver the inhabitants into your hand. You will drive them out before you. You shall make no covenant with them or their gods. They must remain in your land lest they cause you to sin against me. Excuse me, they must not remain in your land lest they cause you to sin against me. For if you serve their gods, it will surely be a snare to you. So verse 32, he's telling them, don't make any covenants with these people in this land that you're going to go into. You're not supposed to. But unfortunately, it actually happens. In the days of Joshua, they've crossed the Jordan. They already defeated Jericho, and they start pressing on west towards the other uh, inhabited city-states within the land of Canaan, and that's when they run into the Gibeonites, okay? So, verse 1 of Joshua chapter 9, this is, we're going to read this passage real quick. Now, when the news of this reached all the kings of the west of Jordan, those in the hill country, the news of what happened at Jericho, the foothills and all along the coast of the Great Sea toward Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, those are all listed in Exodus 23 as well, they came together to wage war against Joshua and Israel. But the people of Gibeon, having heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they acted deceptively and set out as envoys, carrying on their donkeys, worn out sacks and old wineskins, cracked and mended. They put worn patches, sandals on their feet, and threadbare clothing on their bodies, and their whole supply of bread was dry and moldy. They went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgad and said to him and the men of Israel, We have come from a distant land. Please make a treaty with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you dwell near us? How can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. Then Joshua asked them, Who are you and where have you come from? Your servants have come from a very distant land, they replied, because of the, the fame of the Lord your God. We have heard the reports about him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites beyond the Jordan, Sihon, king of Heshbon, and Og, king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. So the elders and the inhabitants of our land told us, take provisions for your journey, go to meet them, and say to them, we are your servants, please make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home on the day we left to come to you, but take a look, it's now dry and moldy. These wineskins were new when we filled them, but look, they are cracked. These clothes and sandals are worn out from our very long journey. Then the men of Israel sampled the provisions, but did not seek the counsel of the Lord. And Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. Three days after they had made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites learned that they were neighbors living among them. So the Israelites set out on the third day and arrived at their cities, Gibeon, uh, Kephirah, Biroth, and then Kirith-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them, because the leaders of the congregation had sworn oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. And the whole congregation grumbled against the leaders. All the leaders answered, We have sworn oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we cannot touch them. This is how we will treat them. We will let them live, so that no wrath will fall on us, because of the oath we swore to them. They continued, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers for the whole congregation. So the leaders kept their promise. Then Joshua summoned the Gibeonites and said, why did you deceive us by telling us you live far away when in fact you live among us? Now, therefore, you are under a curse and will perpetually serve as woodcutters and water carriers for the house of my God. Verse 24, the Gibeonites answered, Your servants were told clearly that the Lord your God has commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and wipe out all of its inhabitants before you. So, guys, take a, take a look what's going on here. I need some water. The Gibeonites deceptively, like they're afraid. 
Okay, they're they're scared of the Israelites. They they're seeing what they did to Egypt and what what they did to Sion and Og. They're afraid, just like the men of Jericho were afraid. But they're not picking up and leaving. <laughs> this land was not given to them. They all know this. You guys, many of you guys, seen me talk about this in previous Torah portions. This is why this land is called the land of Canaan. It was stolen by Canaan. It was supposed to be the land of Shem. And this goes back to the days of Noah. So these Gibeonites, just like the men of Ai and Jericho and all the kings of Arad and the Perizzites, the Hittites, all the all the ites that we read, the Amorites. By the way, the Gibeonites, they lived in, a, in an area of the Amorites. So this, you know, they, they're all here, but this small little clan, they're realizing like they're outmatched, they're outnumbered, and they couldn't have defeated Sion or Og or Jericho. And, and so therefore, you know, they definitely can't defeat Israel. So they're trying to preemptively make peace, which they keep calling themselves Israel's servants, which is just crazy, right? Um, because they're they're doing this in supplication, trying to save their lives, as opposed to saying, hey, we'll leave, we'll leave. It's pretty interesting. But because they tricked Joshua and the other leaders of Israel and they did make this peace treaty with them, like it says, they did not consult the Lord on this, which is which is sad um, that the Gibeonites now are contractually protected according to the, this oath that they made. And so Joshua, he, you know, being the full leader um, likened unto Moses, as far as like, you know, he took over Moses' position as the military leader and everything um, that, you know, he's like, all right, we got to uphold this oath. We can't, even though we found out that they're, they lied to us and that he's actually talking to the guy, why'd you lie to us? And the guy answers him, Hey, look, your servants, we were told clearly that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and wipe out all its inhabitants before you. So they're telling Joshua, look, we heard you're coming to exterminate us to, to make sure. We, and they're not leaving. They could have just left. They could have just left. But they're not leaving. But they decide we're going to we want to stay here, but let's stay here by deceit and trickery. He says, so we greatly feared for our lives because of you. And that is why we've done this. Now we are in your hands. Do to us whatever seems good and right to you. So Joshua did this and delivered them from the hand of the Israelites, and they did not kill the Gibeonites. So on one hand, Joshua is showing a mercy because, but on the other hand, he already made a pact with them. He already made a covenant. He wasn't supposed to do that. Exodus 23, 32, do not make a covenant with the people of the land. He didn't realize they were of the land. That's why they tricked him. So isn't that interesting how they, they had enough foresight, if you will, to realize I'm going to act like we're from far distant land. We're going to come in here, even though we're literally just like 100 miles away. So verse 27, on the day he made the woodcutters and water carriers as they are to this day for the congregation of the Lord and for the altar of the place he, he would choose. So it's kind of interesting how this kind of unfolds. Um, you know, the, the Gibeonites are in fear. Joshua is contractually, covenantially bound. He doesn't really, he's not really happy about it, but he's covenantially bound to this. To, to But these this particular clan, they're not causing a problem. They're willing to be the servants and they're willing to be specifically these types of servants, woodcutters and workers to help with anything that the Levites might need and the priesthood might need. So I think that's interesting. Um, but at the same time, we see how this becomes an issue later. So this is the story isn't over. Second Samuel 21. You guys remember how Saul was very zealous for the for Yahweh in the wrong ways. Like he kept making all these mistakes. He would do a sacrifice when he wasn't supposed to, and he would go out and try to have battles when he wasn't supposed to. And like he was, you know, just he didn't listen very well, right? So in 2 Samuel 21, 1 through 4, 
It says, During the reign of David, there was a famine for three successive years. David sought the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, It's because of the blood shed by Saul and his family, because he killed the Gibeonites. All right, so let me, before we read too much further, let me go to this little this little place here just to let you know this is, and this is what, why there's famine in the land, okay? This is why there's famine, because they're disobeying the covenant, and we're going to explain how they're disobeying the covenant with Yahweh. Verse 18 of Leviticus 26, it says, and after, and if after all this you will not obey me, I will proceed to punish you sevenfold for your sins. I will break down your stubborn pride and make your sky like iron, that means no rain, and your land like bronze, that means famine in the land. And your strength will be spent in vain, for your land will not produce its yield or yield its produce, and the trees of the land will not bear their fruit. So this is what they're defiantly not realizing they're doing. So this is why David's realizing, why is there famine? We're not supposed to have famine. We're, we're doing what's right. But he goes to seek the face of the Lord, and the Lord said, it's because of the bloodshed by Saul and his family, specifically, and his family. Look at this, guys, because this Saul's already dead at this point. So it's by the bloodshed by Saul and his family because he killed the Gibeonites. Now, he didn't kill all of them. We're about to read what's going to happen here. But he went and he broke that covenant that Joshua upheld. And he went and he tried to get the kick, uh, exterminate the Gibeonites from the land. Verse 2, it says, At this, David summoned the Gibeonites and spoke to them. Now, the Gibeonites were not Israelites, but they were a remnant of the Amorites. And then Israelites had taken an oath concerning them. But in his zeal for Israel and Judah, Saul had sought to kill them. So he's he's actually breaking the covenant. That, that um, even though it was a covenant made out of deception, the father wanted them to uphold it because it was the, the Gibeonites were not trying to break the covenant either. The Gibeonites were trying to be servants to um, Israel under this pact because they were they were they wanted to be subjugated to Israel. So Joshua upheld that, and it, it was upheld for over four hundred years until Saul gets there and starts wilding out. Saul's being unruly, going out and abusing his power as king, and he tries to attack the Gibeonites. He kills some of them and his family. So Saul and his family kill some of them. And then David's like, why are we have why are we have this uh why are we observing in the land the result of us breaking covenant, the covenant of Yahweh? Well, it's because Saul the, the, the Yahweh directly tells David through you know through consulting the face of the Lord. Um, which by the way, I, I think this went through the the priesthood through the ephod. Um it says, because of the bloodshed by Saul and his family, because he killed the Gibeonites. Well, then David summoned the Gibeonites, and he asked him what's going on in verse 3. So David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How can I make amends to you that may bless the inheritance of the Lord? Why would David be trying to make amends to the Gibeonites? Well, because that covenant that they had abided by peacefully for over 400 years was broken by Saul, not by the Gibeonites. So now the Gibeonites have had their people murdered. Guys. Saul murdered, just like he murdered a whole bunch of Levite priests, Saul also went around and murdered other people. And this is one of the people on his on his uh, list. He murdered the Gibeonites, Saul and his family. Not just Saul. Saul's already dead. So how can the, like we read back in the, the, the laws in number 30, uh, Numbers 35 about the avenger of blood. How can bloodshed be made right if the person that, that killed him is already dead? Well, the land is suffering, this land itself. So let's go back and I'm going to go back up here real quick to numbers. And let's look at, let's read it again. Numbers 35, verse 30 through 34. If anyone kills a person, the murderer is to be put to death on the testimony of the witnesses. 
no one is to be put to death based on the testimony of a lone witness. You're not to accept a ransom for the life of a murderer who deserves to die. He must surely be put to death. So what do we just read with David? He's like, what can I, how can I make amends? What can I do for you? Well, he, you can't give him a ransom. Verse, verse 33 goes on and says, do not pollute the land where you live. Or, I'm sorry, verse, uh, well, verse 32 doesn't apply because the guy who did the murdering and his family, well, Saul's dead, but some of his sons are dead, but not all of his family that, that participated in this is dead. So there are still murderers who participated in this act with Saul for breaking the covenant of the Gibeonites and murdering them that are still unpunished. And there's famine in the land as a result of this. Verse 33, do not pollute the land where you live. The bloodshed pollutes the land. No atonement can be made for the land on which the blood is shed except by the blood of the one who sheds it. Do not defile the land where you live and where I dwell, where I dwell amongst the Israelites. So if we go back down to the story here, verse 3, so David asked the Gibeonites, what shall I do for you? How can I make amends that you bless the inheritance of the Lord? Verse 4, the Gibeonites said to him, we need no silver or gold from Saul or from his house. They're not going to accept a ransom for the to allow these murders. He says, nor should you put to death anyone in Israel for us. Whatever you ask, I will do for you, David replied. So what he's saying is they're not wanting they're not wanting to randomly take someone from Israel and put them to death. They're wanting the actual murderers. And it goes on and say in verse 5, And they answered the king, As for the man who consumed us and that plotted against us to exterminate us from the existing within any border of Israel, let seven of his male descendants be delivered to us, that we may hang them before the Lord at Gibeah of Saul, the chosen of the Lord. And I will, I will give them to you, David replied. Now the king spared Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, one of the sons of Saul, because of the oath before the Lord between David and the Jonathan, the son of Saul. But the king took Armani, and Mephibosheth, another Mephibosheth, the two sons of Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, who had been born to Saul, as well as the five sons of Merab, the daughter of Saul, had been born to Edriel, the son of Barzillai, the, the Meholet, Meholetite, I can't even say that, man, Meholatites, the Meholatites, and he delivered them into the hands of the Gibeonites, and they hanged them on the hill before the Lord. So all seven of them fell together. They were put to death in the first days of the harvest at the beginning of the barley harvest. And Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, took sackcloth and spread out herself on a rock. And from the beginning of the harvest until the rain from the heaven poured down on the bodies, she did not allow the birds of the air to rest on them by day, nor the beasts of the field by night. So the Gibeonites actually didn't follow the proper Torah, which was to not leave a body hanging overnight. So they left him out, and this lady goes out to address that in silent protest by doing this and sitting by the bodies even during the rain. David was told what Saul's concubine, Rizpah, the daughter of Ai, uh, had done, and he went and took the bones of Saul and his sons, Jonathan, from the men of Jabesh Gilead, who had stolen them from the public square of Bethshan, where the Philistines had hung the bodies after they struck down Saul at Geboah. So David had the bones of Saul and his son, Jonathan, brought from there, along with the bones of those who had been hanged by the Gibeonites. So he's got all these bodies and dead bones. He says, and they buried the bones of Saul and his son, Jonathan and Zelah in the land of Benjamin in the tomb of Saul's father, Kish. After they had done everything the king commanded, God answered their prayers for the land. So not only do they not want the dead bodies to defile the land, which is also in Torah, but the act of the Saul's sons, the ones that, that David chose amongst the different concubine wives that had participated Remember at the beginning of the story, guys, Saul and his family killed the Gibeonites. But it wasn't Mephibosheth, 
one of the sons of, da of Jonathan that was living in the household of David, Mephibosheth, had a busted foot. He couldn't go out to battle. So it wouldn't have been fair for him, right? So this, I'm just kind of giving you some ideas of how you look into the context of the story of just show like this is where why these particular seven sons would have been chosen amongst the others that were not. So Saul participated in this act of murdering Gibeonites, breaking the covenant with them and murdering them. He's already dead. Justice can't be had. But these other seven sons who participated in this with him, they can be had. They, they are still, quote unquote, on the loose, right? They did this horrific act. David is now taken over and he's trying to uh, clean up all the uh, all the fires. He's trying to put out all the fires that Saul had started all throughout the land uh, because Saul was out of control. And so this is one of those one of those fires, right? He's trying to make peace with the Gibeonites and he's doing it according to the law of the Avenger of Blood that we read from Numbers 35, 30 through 34. Because the land itself had show, started showing that uh, famine after three years, so this is, there's you know, three years, nothing was said. That means, I don't know, I don't know the timeline exactly when Saul and his sons went after the Gibeonites, but we know it was at least three years that that had happened and justice had not been done to Saul's sons, that these murderers thought they got away with it for at least three years. But the father didn't forget. And is the father defending Israelites, innocent Israelites? No, he was defending innocent Gibeonites who like connived their way into the covenant protection. <laughs> but the father honors that. And he honored their, they, their heart and their behavior of Torah to live in peace with the Israelites in that covenant. And of course, they're not, you know, the Gibeonites are not allowed to, um, to worship other gods because they're literally now in the service of Israel for the temple of Yahweh. So the point is, the father doesn't forget the details. And one of these details come up, even Saul didn't understand what, I mean, excuse me, even David hadn't understood what's going on here. He had to seek the face of God to say, okay, why, why, why is there famine in the land? Like we're, you know, I'm trying to get things back on track. It's been three years. He's, David's taken over three years now. And he's like, I, I've been trying to get things on track and uh, we're trying to worship the Lord. We got the temples going. we got the priesthoods going. Everyone's doing their things the right heart in the right way. Um, you know, we're having success continuing to systematically drive the inhabitants of the land out, even though he didn't finish in his lifetime. He's like, so he's just curious, right? He's trying to figure out what's going on. The father's like, yeah, but there's a, there's some leftover dirty laundry that we got to take care of from Saul and his family. And there's seven murderers on the loose. So the father's like, I haven't forgot. It's crazy, guys. It's crazy. So this is this to me is why we would have this story at the return of the Lord. Revelation 6, 9 through 11. And when the Lamb opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who've been slain for the word of God and for the testimony they upheld. And they cried out in a loud voice, How long, O Lord, how holy and true, until you avenge our blood and judge those who dwell upon the earth. Then each of them was given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers, were killed, just as they, as they had been killed. So the father, at the end of days, right before the eternity of Yeshua, you have people in Sheol that are crying. I know a lot of people like to say, oh, like this is in the altar in heaven. There's no souls in an altar in heaven, guys. It's still under the altar of God. So this is he's in a vision and he's looking down. Okay, so this is, to me, the, the altar is 
this is not this is not literally the container of the souls that's not described in scripture anywhere and this is not where you're resurrected from you're not resurrected from heaven back to your body on earth and then go back to the new jerusalem in heaven that doesn't no this is not what it's talking about this is there's no correlation for that idea this is john in his vision looking at through the altar if you will because you know visions they get to see things in a abnormal way he's looking through the altar to see under the altar the souls that have been slain for the word of god and for the testimony of the upheld no people are not in heaven before the re the first resurrection event this is why they're given the right white robes they're about to be resurrected they're in sheol with every all the other saints who are about to be resurrected that's the place the father described for the soul to go to await resurrection so the point is, he says, then each of them was given a white robe and told to rest a little while longer until the full number of their fellow servants, their brothers, were killed just as they had been killed. So this is in that tribulation period of 42 months of the reign of Apollyon leading up to the return of Yeshua. And there's mass persecution that's talked about in Revelation 13, 7 through 10 of uh, the, the beast is making war against you know those who keep the commands of God and hold the testimony of Yeshua, Revelation 12, 17. So these are people that are being uh, murdered in that and that uh, persecution by the beast and the Antichrist, and the, and the I should say by the uh, the dragon and the beast. So the Father is still going to implore his and imp and use his Torah in order to get vengeance for these people that are that are killed. And even though there is a time period that they're having to wait, there's a time period, and and they're asking during this time, hey, when are you going to take care of this this thing, man? We, we really would like you to avenge our blood. On the earth and he's like yeah there's there's more of you that needs to happen but it's going to happen so that's why when yeshua returns it's such a big deal because yeshua does avenge their blood at that point all right guys put in the call-in link in the chat if you want to call in A put it at the bottom of the screen. Okay, so if you want to call in to ask a live question, um, you can get prepared to do that now. And I'm going to go ahead and finish up the the final chapter, numbers 36. It says now the family heads of the clans of Gilead, the son of Machir, the son of Manasseh, one of the clans of Joseph, they approached Moses and the leaders who were the heads of the Israelite families and addressed them, saying, "When the Lord commanded my Lord to give the land as an inheritance to the Israelites by lot, He also commanded Him to give the inheritance of our brothers Elphahad to his daughters." But if they marry any of the men from the other tribes of Israel, their inheritance will be withdrawn from the portion of our fathers and added to the tribe in which they marry. So our allotted inheritance would be taken away. And when the Jubilee for the Israelites come, their inheritance will be added to the tribe into which they marry and taken away from the tribe of our fathers. So at the word of the Lord, Moses commanded the Israelites, the tribe of the son of Joseph speaks correctly. This is what the Lord has commanded concerning the daughters of Zelophehad. They may marry anyone they please, provide they marry within a clan of the tribe of their father. No inheritance in Israel may be transferred from tribe to tribe, because each of the Israelites is to retain the inheritance of the tribe of his fathers. Every daughter who possesses an inheritance from any Israelite tribe must marry with the clan of the tribe of her father, so that every Israelite will possess the inheritance of his fathers. No inheritance may be transferred from one tribe to another, for each tribe of Israel must retain its inheritance. So the daughters of Zelophehad did as the Lord had commanded Moses, and Mala, Terzah, Hagalah, Milcah, and Noah, the daughters of Zelophehad, were married to cousins on their father's side. They married within the clans of the descendants of Manasseh, the son of Joseph, and their inheritance remained within the tribe of their father's clan. These are the commandments and the ordinances the Lord gave to the Israelites through Moses on the plains of Moab by the Jordan across from Jericho. And that is 
That completes the tour portion for the day. Okay, and we've got a caller calling in. It's looked like Edwin. Edwin, hey, brother, can you hear us? Oh, that was, that was fast. Yeah, I can hear you just fine. Can you hear me? Hey, good. Welcome, brother. Yeah, I can Hello? hear you. I can hear you and see you well. Wonderful. Yeah, we may have Wonderful. may have a little bit of a delay. Um, What's your question, brother? Can you hear us? Mic check. Can't hear you. Can't see. I don't know if you froze. I think you froze. Okay. Edwin, if you can hear us, try to call back in, okay? Call back in again. Okay, we've got Royce Bell calling in. Hey, brother, how you doing? Welcome. Shabbat Shalom. What's up, Sean? Hey, Shabbat Shalom to you. What's up, man? How you doing? I'm too blessed to be stressed. Um, I I, was, I had a question um that I wanted to ask, and it was like, uh, there's a question regarding unclean spirits, right? So okay. it's like you know, schizo, you know how a person is like schizophrenic, and it's pretty much like it's it's common sense that that's like uh, if you have eyes to see, then you you, you know they're like possessed, right? Cause like, cause it's like they hear all these voices in their head and stuff, and it's like, it's, I have, I have uh, like a, like a theory, and I just want to see like what you thought about it, cause like, cause back then I used to like uh, smoke weed, right? Before I got saved, obviously. Okay. And what's it called? Like, my friends, it was like, um, when they'd get high, it was like they, it would be like a different person, like speaking through them. And it would be like it would be it would be kind of strange, but it was only when they got high because like for some reason, uh, do you do you feel like that's like um like them being in like the like like a the spirit realm where, where they're not supposed to be, you know, if that makes sense. Well, I, I think um, there's lots of different types of of weed. Are you talking about just weed, right? I'm, 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 you know, talking about other drugs, right? Oh, you're talking about psychedelics. Okay, that's a little bit different. Um, I yeah. think that it's very important that you maintain your sobriety. And mm -hmm. when you when you don't maintain your sobriety, you can, you know, it depends on what you're doing, especially with psychedelics. Yeah. It seems to have a, a very different feel. Uh, I, I've never tried them personally, but from yeah. reading about it, seeing about it, um, I didn't really hang out with people that did it. But from what I know and understand about it, it's, they seem to have a very different feel than just someone smoking a plant. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's very, uh, very different. And so I know that psychedelics are used with different types of government control programs that do allow for mind control as well as, um, forms of possession. So to me, yeah. I would stay clear from them because from my understanding, it can open you up to unclean spirits. Yeah. And, uh, what's it called? Um, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought, but, uh, what's it called? Like, okay. So one time we were in Puerto Rico, right? with my friends and uh you know like we're young we're like in college and all these drugs come in and like not not me for saying i'm not i'm not gonna lie of course i've stumbled i've stumbled a, a lot of times but the fathers always helped me uh, get right back up on my feet and what's crazy is like my friends like they they uh they take like these they take a bunch of these psychedelics on on, on the daily and one of them said to me something he was like uh he was like yo i took uh acid the other day and it felt like 20 people were in me and I was playing basketball like I was like uh, uh, belonging in the NBA. And I was like, what do you mean 20 people are in you? And he was like, I heard like 20 different people in my head. 
it was like 20 different like d- different personalities and i was like uh like and i went to my friend he's saved too but like me and him like i thank god i thank father for him because i would have been alone in this walk because he's with me and every day he's like my best friend his name's muhammad my, my real name's muhammad too by the way mm-hmm. we got saved from like uh the islam it's just a freaking cult but like what's it called uh when he said that, like, don't you think that those like twenty people in his voice are unclean spirits? To my understanding, uh, that type of schizophrenia um, is absolutely the modern medical term for basically what we see in the in the gospels, where yeah. people were, you know, being oppressed and possessed by unclean spirits. That's that's my understanding of it. Yeah, you should only have one voice in your head. <laughs> should be the Holy Spirit, right? Yeah. You know, obviously, aside from your own thoughts. But yeah, if you mm-hmm. get someone that's talking like there's a bunch of other voices in your head telling you to do stuff and those things are not the will of God. Yeah, you yeah. definitely want to. It's an easy test to determine the, the spiritual unclean spirits trying to affect you and afflict you. So, yeah, well, one last thing. I've I, I realized that um, like over time, their hearts have gotten so hard, like. When when what's it called like they like become like the 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 moral conscience they become like oblivious to it and it's like as if they as if like their hearts get super hard but I know it's really not them it's like the unclean spirits in them and it's mm-hmm. like it's it's sad because like one of my friends like he he mess like they they're so addicted to drugs to the point to where they'll call me and they'll make up a lie and say uh, I'm on the other side of town. I need $35 for an Uber and I'm $15 short. I give him the money and then I find out he lies to me and then my friend catches him red-handed. He said, didn't you lie to Muhammad the other day? He said, yeah, of course I lied to him. I'll lie to him. Like, I'm like they have no shame in it. It's like the, the hearts are hard, but that's all I yeah. have to say. I'm sorry about that, uh, Royce. I, I probably, you know, it's pray for them. <laughs> Obviously, don't, don't, I would highly encourage not participating in what they're doing because it's going to mess with your heart mm-hmm. and your mind. So I would just keep keep staying on the path, keep following Yeshua, pray for him, and uh, try to sow that word into him when you can. And uh, so that way you get yourself built up. Who knows? You, the Father may put you in a place at some point where you got to cast some demons out of him. I hope so. I uh, hope so because like they're my childhood friends, so it breaks my heart every time. Yeah, you I know. Hear you, brother. I do. Hey, man, but I'm a- All right, well, I appreciate you calling in. I'm gonna take another call. Right, real quick, okay. I hope you have a Thanks, Shabbat, All right. You too. Right, Enjoy bye. the Shabbat. Thank you. Okay, we have Robert calling in. Hey there, sir. Welcome. Hey, Sean. How are you doing today? I'm shalom. doing good. Yeah, Shabbat Shalom to you if you're celebrating today. Ah, yes, yes. Um, yesterday's uh, message from you and also Adam, he was talking about uh, going in, getting into the kingdom. Yeah. And that lends to lots of uh, confusion and angst. Um Case. Of course, in listening to Adam, you know, I get, um, if you don't follow the commands, you don't enter into the kingdom. Um, if someone yesterday came to the Lord and he just come to faith, he's getting into the kingdom. Yeah. Now, me, I've been uh, growing my faith from since 1992. Yeah. I think I started doing Torah maybe 10 years ago. I'm still not where I could say confidently that I'm following the commands. Plus, every third month, I'm on call. I have to work on okay. Sabbath. Now, I'm guessing you're you're talking about specific commands and not just the covenant behavior in general? Well, 
I, I don't so know. When you talked um, about being on call for your job, I'm guessing you're referring to not being able to keep the Sabbath like you would like. So I'm not doing it perfectly. That's for sure. Okay. I have to. I have to at least uh, be ready to be uh, available to work, yeah. or to even ask other people to work on Sabbath. Yeah, um, I used to be in a position like that with the job as well. It was really stressing for like two years. I was praying for two years to Father get me into a better place, and um, eventually he did. Eventually he brought me into a different position, a different job that I was had more flexibility. Didn't have to work on a Saturday. So, and so you think because of that that you're still not following tour, and does that upset you? Is that why you're asking? I think it mostly upsets my wife. Um, me, I, I kind of, I'm, you know, whatever the Lord's going to do, uh, I, I can only do so much, right? But okay. then I do st stop and wonder, am I doing what needs to be done? Um, and not, I'm not being disobedient. I'm not saying I know I need to do this and I'm not going to do it. Okay. It's, just that maybe I'm just not clear on what I need to be doing. You know? Well, I want to encourage you, okay? I want to encourage you with two different questions. First question is based off of uh, the Israelites coming out of Egypt. Do you remember what Yahweh says to Moses when he's taken them into Egypt? Or he, uh, excuse me, Yahweh is sent wow. Moses into Pharaoh's presence to have this conversation about pulling the Israelites out of Egypt. He says, I want to take them three days journey in the wilderness and, and there's this weird back and forth where Moses and Aaron show up a few times to Pharaoh over the chapters uh, six through nine. And Pharaoh keeps saying, well, just take just take the animals or I'll just take the people, but leave the animals or just take the just take the old people. Leave all the able body people under 30 here. You know, what I'm saying he, there's all these weird caveats that he goes through. And Pharaoh is trying to compromise where Moses is like, nope, I need all the people. I need all the animals and we need to go do what we need to do. Because why? What was happening? The Israelites were being kept from keeping the laws of God through the oppression of the land that they lived in. So Yahweh didn't come to the Israelites with chastisement. He didn't come to them and say, you guys haven't been keeping all the commandments, even though you're in this land that's not letting you. And Yahweh didn't punish them. He saved them. So hopefully, I just want to encourage you. Like if you're in a position where your, your lifestyle, your job at this moment you can't keep them to the best of your ability. Yahweh has promised us that at the resurrection, he's going to gather us from all the all the places under the firmament where we've been scattered. Deuteronomy 30, verse 4. He's going to bring us into a land where we can keep the fullness of his law, of his uh, of his, obe his obedient behavior. We can do that perfectly. But he knows where you are right now. He knows that the circumstances of your life, you're not able to keep them perfectly. But I guess I also in the second way, I want to encourage you that you know, you're you're looking at specific commands that your life is not able to be kept right now because of certain circumstances, but yet you're keeping 99% of the other ones, right? I mean, you're not you're you're doing your best to walk in love towards the Father and towards His people. You're not taking His authority in vain and trying to use it maliciously. Uh, you are trying to honor the Sabbath when you can. I'm guessing you you honor your father and mother. You're not murdering people, right? You're not coveting. You're not lying. You're not bearing false witness in court against others, right? So you're already keeping, you're not kidnapping your, your neighbor's animals or their persons, right? You're doing all these things that, that are already in the Torah that you're already walking in covenant lifestyle, but there are a few things that you're still trying to adopt into your schedule um, to the best of your ability. So I just want to encourage you that the Father knows what you're going through, and He knows that discipleship is a process that you continue until the day you die. 
You know what I'm saying? And then he gives you that righteousness that's perfect and allows you to do his behavior, his laws perfectly at the resurrection. So I just, I guess I wouldn't, uh, at the same time, I, I think your heart that you desire to do more that you can't do right now because of circumstances seems to be a, a good thing. That seems to be, you know, the, the good idea. And I, I just wouldn't beat yourself up too bad because you can't do it all perfectly right now. Does that sound fair? I, I know you, yeah. I know you can't speak for Adam, um, but of course, you know, you listen to different people um, and uh, listening to Adam, I mean, it, it seems more uh, hard, more uh, like there is a line, either you do or you don't. Um, and I've always thought that there was a, you know, where uh, Yahweh looks at the heart. He looks at the person's intent and where where they where they where they're um, are they being rebellious? Am I am I not keeping the Sabbath because I said, well, no, I ain't doing that, you know? Or am I trying to, and in my heart, trying to be that fashion? Um, yeah, yeah. That's that's kind of why I tried to give the first example, the first question about the Israelites uh, being in captivity in Egypt, as you know, they there was a large portion of them that wanted to be free from that, so they could worship God properly. Uh, obviously, there was rebels among them, and those people, you know, made themselves known and weeded themselves out over time. But but the vast majority of them, they wanted to do the covenant behavior as much as they could, but they were being withheld by the land of their oppression. So this is why they need to be saved out of that. They need to be redeemed out of that. So I just, um, you know, I understand that, again, the father didn't come into the Israelites and chastise them for not keeping the Sabbath properly. He put, he helped them get to a position where they could. So that's what I want to kind of encourage you about, right? You understand that's your heart. That's your desires. You want to, there's certain parts of, of his instructions that you want to keep more faithfully every week. We'll just keep praying and, and just keep asking them to. And I'm a living testimony of someone that was in that position and with a regular job. And then he changed my jobs to where I could keep Sabbath faithfully. So that was an answer prayer. Okay. Well, thank you, Sean. Yeah. 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 You're, you're blessed, brother. Just keep, keep walking and striving. You know what I'm saying? He, the father's not trying to beat you up. He's trying to get you into a place to do his, his, uh, his loving law. So. All right. We have okay. a yeah, have a good Shabbat. Enjoy it. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Shabbat Shalom. Okay. What's up, Christian? Hey, brother. How you doing? Welcome. Shabbat Shalom. I'm, uh, I'm doing better than I have in a while. Been uh, away because I've just been going through a lot. But uh, Yaz bought me, brought me back and drawn me close. Okay. Uh, and I, I know some people I saw yesterday in the chat, some people were thinking of me and praying for me, and I appreciate that a lot. And um, I'm glad to back, I'd be back. I haven't been excited for Shabbat in a long time like this. I'm so excited um, to, to to be able to come on here again and, and just cool. and the, the love and everything. But my question, my question um, was, uh, do you believe that we could see a type of second exodus of people keeping the, you know, we're all kind of scattered right now. And I know we, you know, there's still some time before the return um, of Yeshua, but I, I didn't know if, it, you know, especially what's going on in the States right now. Um, yeah. How know, are you, when you, when you use the term second exodus, what, how would you define that? If you could put that in a single sentence? Um, well, I could see it as two things. I could see it as, um, obviously new Jerusalem at the, you know, we, um, 
when we, you know, uh, the, uh, when she all opens up and the resurrection and all that, and we're there together and gathered, I could see it as that, but I could also see it as, um, those who keep the commandments of, um, Yah and Jesus Christ, um, maybe separating coming out of this system we find ourselves in where we're all scattered and, and, you know, we're, we're struggling and, and it seems to be getting harder and harder and harder to the point where it's like, at what point are we going to separate? I don't know. I kind of have this thing where I wish we could go out into the wilderness and, and, and just live in tents and, and, um, and just, you know, have a Torah community. And I know, I know that wouldn't be easy. Um, it would all be, uh, uh, under Yah's will, but I didn't know if that's a possibility that you could see, you see happening. No, not in scripture. Um, I okay. know that, you know, that I've actually done a, like a, a three or four part series on this on my channel. Okay. And I did this uh, probably a year and a half ago. So you're welcome to check that out. It's on our milk and meat playlist. And uh, it's, I think it's a four part. And I go through the, the common teachings of the second exodus as promoted by um, prominent Torah teachers. Uh, and, uh, whom I know and talk to personally, and they know that I disagree with them. And, uh, and I go through most of those common arguments in that series and I address all those, but just in short, the idea, okay, so let's, let's just back up from what you said. Okay. So this idea of, so we're going to, we're, we're going to take out of this conversation in this equation, we're going to take out the idea of the, re the resurrection, which happens on the day of the Lord at the last trumpet, worldwide cataclysmic destruction, armies of the world trying to fight Yeshua at his return as well as this massive earthquake destroys all the cities of the earth. So the resurrection removes the saints from that cataclysmic rough day called the wrath of the lamb and takes them to, that is the gathering that Jeremiah 23 and a whole bunch of Jeremy 30 and a whole bunch of other places talk about takes the saints to their place um, to the new Jerusalem for safety. But before that you're asking, is it possible for believers to get together again now, the different, that's why I asked you for a definition, because the definition we have of the Exodus in scriptures is something the father announced he would do. He announced it way back to Ab in Abraham's day. He sent a redeemer, Moses, in that capacity to go in as, you know, the, the, the point of power, if you will, right? The prophet of point of power to exemplify power to the oppressive rulers that were keeping the children of the covenant from fully practicing the covenant and that also simultaneously was judgment against that nation that held them second exodus as it's taught by most people in Torah communities talks about believers from all over the world happening so there is no prophecy that i'm aware of other than the day of the lord where all the nation's leaders are judged and their nations are destroyed while simultaneously the people of faith are being brought out of there. So before that, if anyone wants to assemble on their own, have fun. There's lots of people that have done that throughout history, right? They get together. They, I mean, the, that's where the Quakers and the Puritans came from. They get together and they came out and they went, created their own little communities so they could worship God on their own terms and not be messed with by England and the Anglican church. So that, you know, there's, there's examples of people trying to do this type of concept all throughout history. Um, and it's just, it's fine if people want to do that and they want to be a part of that kind of group. It's fine. Um, I personally wouldn't recommend going to the wilderness because that, that by definition, the world wilderness means there's little vegetation and no animals. So it's going to be tough to provide for yourself. So there's plenty of very fertile spots in all different countries around the world where people could go and try to be their own little community and worship God 
according to Torah. But then you've got to remember the difference in scripture about what's going to happen when you get there. This is the this is the part no one really ever talks about with the second Exodus discussions. Yeah. What, yeah. Actually, what actually hap- starts happening when you get there? Because if everyone wants to come there and do Torah, well, let's look at Torah. Torah requires elders and a priesthood. Mm, so yeah. Those, those are the rulers. Those are people that make decisions for all the people. So who's going to go out? Who, who's going to determine themselves? The rulers. We, we see in Torah, we see all these examples of how people struggled with the rulers and the priesthood that Yahweh gave them. That's so why we have all these rebellions in the book of Numbers we read about in the Torah portions, right? To the point where they, these people were like, all right, we're all here, we're all together. And Yahweh said, these guys are our leaders, these guys are our priests. And then a whole group of people were like, now we don't like that. We want to be the leaders and we want to be the priesthood, right? So then there was chaos. People died as a result of it. Um, there was other times where people decided they didn't want to do Torah anymore. But after they took the oath, after they raised their hand and said, all you say we will do. Then they decided a month later, we don't want to do Torah. And then suddenly they don't want to leave and not do Torah. They wanted to stay in that community and not do Torah, which required a fight. 3,000 people died at the hands of the Levites. So the point is people, you know, people want to do this before the resurrection and call it their second exodus. Have fun, but you're going to run into so many logistical issues because the father hasn't anointed a priesthood that who judges and rules according to Torah over you. The father hasn't anointed elders that you don't know whose tribe is what, how are you going to divide up the land so that you can appropriately follow all the Torah rules based for land ownership. I mean, it, you just have to ignore that part. If you want, you'd have to ignore the entirety of the priesthood. You're going to, how are you going to observe the Sabbaths other than, I mean, if you're trying to truly do Torah, you're not, there is no, um, divinely given through the angels instructions for how to build a tabernacle. So you're going to have to ignore huge parts of the Torah, but basically you're just becoming a group of believers who want to get away from society. So at that point, then you got to ask yourselves, but didn't Yeshua tell us to go into all the nations and teach the truth? How do we, how do we do that if we're just isolating ourselves from society? Yeah, you're absolutely right. So this is where I understand the heart of this desire. I understand why the second is teaching is so enticing to people. Yeah, it's all I can do not to just get a homestead and just never talk to people again. Because there is so much pain in this life. There's so much failed expectations. There's so much strife and struggle and all these bills I got to pay that, are, you know, I think about how much time I spend throughout the week trying to accomplish, you know, the things I have to pay for. And I'm like, why can't I just live and enjoy God? Right. But that's not the setting that I'm in right now. It's not the circumstances. Uh, currently, I'm going to personally, I, I, the Father's put in me a, an overwhelming desire. Beyond that, that sentiment that I just shared, the Father put in me an overwhelming desire for people, which is to reach people with his word, right? Which is I'm trying to do what he, he commissions his disciples to do and to go out and share his word, specifically the word of the kingdom with the nations so that they can be encouraged by the coming good news of what, of how he's going to bring peace to the earth. So I feel like the gospel of the kingdom is completely ignored with the common second Exodus sentiments because people just want to get away from other people, as opposed to sharing with the people that need to hear the good news of what's coming and be ready for it. 
So that's my heart. That's my take. And and everything I just said to you, I did not say in that three, four part series. So you're still welcome to go watch that because I actually go through a lot of scriptures in that three, four part series and break it down from a different perspective. Um, I'm just kind of giving you my personal commentary in that in this in this answer. But um, so anyway, that's that's the way I kind of view it. Um, not only is it not biblical, you're going to have a lot of problems when you get there. And it takes you away from the the commission to tell people about the word of the kingdom. And that because that requires you to do Torah specifically that weightier matters of justice, love, forgiveness by having to interact with people of this world. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And I, I agree with that a lot because I've been thinking about this idea and I've been thinking about it's not really I don't see it clearly stated like in the Bible, that's gonna that's something that's gonna happen. Um, but also, um, the squabbling and all the issues mm-hmm. that people had in the, you know, in, when they came out of Egypt, and you know, of course, they there was a lot of you know, as I've been learning from uh, reading the scriptures, but also going through your series, the the Baal worship and all the horrific stuff they were doing. There's a lot going on, but still, it regardless, it wasn't easy. It was not easy at all, and I. I I definitely think it makes more sense for it to be uh, when the resurrection comes. That is the return of his people together and, and the way it was always supposed to be, because it's always uh, we've it's constantly there's always been disaster after disaster when man perverts things and takes it upon themselves. Um, so I agree. But the reason I, I've, been, I've been thinking about it a lot is just because I see this beautiful resurgence of this Torah community. And I mean, the reason I'm all, the whole reason I'm, I'm, I've even come to this truth is through you. When I found your series on you and uh, Ken talking about the firmament and Enoch from honoring Kings and all that, but awesome. it's, it's, uh, you know, Torah, I see this resurgence and you mean you, you, you look when it talks about at revelation 12, you know, with the remnant of our seed, which guard the commandments of Elohim and have the testimony of Yeshua Hamashiach. I just see that. And it gets me excited. Cause I do as, is there is all this going on. There's also, I see, I believe this just being on the internet and what you're doing and what so many people are doing, it's, it's, it's starting this, this, uh, this rise of, uh, of Torah coming back and, and, and giving context. And, uh, even if, you know, people aren't going out to the wilderness cause it has to be preached to the nations. It has to be. And I agree with that a hundred percent. It's, it's nice to see this community, even though it's online. Like, I mean, even, uh, with, uh, you know what you guys are doing for the shepherd family and stuff like that coming together. This is Torah. This is why it's good. This is, you know, and I just, it's beautiful. And it makes me happy to see this, 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 this family, honestly, this family of, of Yah keeping his commandments and trying to do best and gets me excited to see that resurgence. So I appreciate everything yeah. you know, Yah has led you to do. And I, I, Keep doing it. I love it. So uh, yeah, that's what I try and encourage people. I, I agree with you. And I try to share with people that I believe we are in, the fulfillment of Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses one and two, where it talks about that my people will call to mind from everywhere they're scattered under the firmament, all the different nations they've been scattered, they will call to mind my commands. And that's what I think that we're witnessing in this day. In the last 20, 30 years, people everywhere across the world are realizing that the law is not done away with. It's literally just the behavior of Yahweh. It's righteous, holy, and good, as Paul calls it, right? We are to Walk in the spirit means to be subjected to the law of God, as Paul explains. So this is, you know, this is discipleship. This is how we walk in love with God and honor Yeshua, our high priest and Messiah, you know, and, and, and Lord. So this is how we do it. And, and people are coming to a resurgence. This is why I think the enemy is also kicking up their game, too, 
because they realize that there's people all over the world waking up because the spirit of God is moving throughout the world to wake people up. And that comes from the priesthood of Yeshua. So they're, they're very active. Definitely. Heaven is very active right now in, uh, in what it's giving to the earth and to wake people up. And so it's a very exciting time. In my opinion, I don't think, I mean, I feel like, um, separating an entire community of believers that would separate themselves from what is happening is would be like i said it's kind of like you're it's kind of like you're uh, removing yourself from the ability to do the wonderful works that the that yeshua wants to do through you and the spirit of god that he can give you um to minister and wake more people up you know what i'm saying because now like if you're if you're truly following his ways and being a disciple of yeshua and the torah well, then he's going to give an outpouring of the spirit through his priesthood to you to allow you with gifts of the spirit to gather more people into the family, right? Get more people grafted in. But if the enemy's convinced you to take yourself out of that equation and put you away from all the people, it's hard to do that. Yeah, to do that. absolutely. This why, yeah. This is why I, I I've just from a philosophical sense, from a theological sense, from a context uh, perspective, I've struggled greatly with the idea of a second exodus. It seems um, it seems like um, a lot of folks, uh, the, it seems like the, the people that adhere to it the most are people that are frustrated with life. Um, and they, they're struggling to, to figure out how to walk out this walk amidst the, the, the wickedness of this life. And that's understandable. Hey, it's understandable. I, but that's not what we're called to. You know, what we're called to, from my understanding, is to, to be a light to the people. Like, let your let your light so shine they may see your good works and glorify your father in heaven well if your light's way out in the wilderness no one can see you how are they going to see it you know so just that's that's my two cents on it but brother i do greatly appreciate you calling in and um i just want to keep encouraging you on your on your walk you know just stay at it persevere till the end thank you i appreciate it and i look forward yeah. to that day when we can all be together singing and praising like this yeah. when you played those songs oh my goodness i was could you know i can't wait to be doing that and and uh you know at the the feast and just singing praising yeah for and, sure uh, holding hands with all of you just just having a good time with our heavenly father and our high priest yeshua so thank you and uh right. yah bless you you're welcome all right thanks christian talk to you later talk to you later all right guys i'm not going to take any more calls right now um in fact he just christian just reminded me of something that i wanted to encourage everyone with and share before in the broadcast today so let me go to it real quick. If my internet's going to work. Okay. So I just want to I want to read this as I just want to read this to everybody real quick uh, before we end the show. This is from Sirach chapter 50. All right. And this is verses one through 22. It actually gives us a unique perspective of what possibly the temple services were like back in the day when the priesthood was faithful and they were active and they were, the temple was standing and they were doing the sacrifices and Israel was coming forward Um to actually do worship. It wasn't just simply bringing an animal forward and then turning and walking away. There's more to it. It's beautiful. Listen to this description. 
The high priest Simon, the son of Onias, he repaired and fortified the temple, and he laid the foundations for the double high walls that went around it. Simon also dug a cistern as big as the large bronze bowl called the sea. He fortified, the Jeru he fortified Jerusalem, and he drew up plans in, in case it was ever attacked or surrounded. And when he came out from the most holy place, and he walked among the people, he looked glorious, like the morning star between the clouds, or a full moon during a festival, or like sunshine on the temple of God's most high, on the temple of God most high, or a brilliant rainbow set against beautiful clouds. Seeing him, this is the the high priest in his full outfit. Seeing him was as pleasant as the first roses of spring, or lilies beside a stream, or green grass on a hot day in the Lebanon mountains. He was majestic, like the smoke burning of burning incense, or a golden bowl set with jewelry of every kind, or like an olive tree heavy with olives or a cypress tree reaching toward the clouds. The whole temple, the courtyard, reflected his glory when he wore his special robes and went up to the sacred altar. Then he stood beside the altar, and the other priests gave him the sacrifices to be burned. These priests stood around him like palm trees near a cedar in the Lebanon mountains. They, were beautiful, they wore beautiful robes and held the sacrifices in their hands. All Israel watched while Simon placed each offering on the altar fires. And then he was handed a cup of blood-red wine, which he poured out at the foot of the altar as a pleasant-smelling offering to God Most High, the King of all creation. So after this, the priests shouted and blew silver trumpets, making a loud noise as prayer to the Most High God. And immediately everyone bowed their face to the ground to worship the all-powerful Lord God Most High. The temple choir began to sing, and sweet songs of praise echoed through the courtyard. Meanwhile, the people prayed to their God, the merciful Lord Most High, until the ceremonies of worship were finished. Then Simon came down from the altar and raised his hands to praise the Lord and to bless the people in his name. So this is something I've always talked about, um, about the priesthood being the name. Okay, so that we're in Yeshua's name. Yeshua is our high priest. So we're blessed in his name. That's his authority. That's what these words mean in Greek and Hebrew. The word name translates to English. So to be blessed in the name of this high priest Simon during this day, was his authority that Yahweh had given him as the high priest. So then he goes to bless the people. Um, so they bowed down again to receive Simon's blessing and to wor worship God most high. Praise the God of all creation because he works miracles everywhere on the earth. He watches over us as we grow and he shows mercy to us. This is Sirach 50, 1 through 22. So they're not just showing up at the temple to bring sacrifice. While they do, they also pray. They're singing going on. They're praising God. And what do they do when they bring their animals forward? They're coming in a heart of repentance. So what do you think they're praying when they're there? I promise you they're confessing their sins. And they're worshiping God, both with the meal, the, this fellowship meal that's being created through the priesthood, as well as bringing a repentant heart and a heart of mercy and love to the Father. So this is, you know, 2300 BC church service that we just read. There's a lot of similarities to what we see today in modern churches. Unfortunately, the, some of the doctrines wonky. Obviously, they're not eating, they're not cooking a barbecue with animals inside the church, but people come with a repentant heart. There's fellowship, they're singing, and they're a lot of times confession of sins, and people are trying to learn his word and hear his word and do what's right. Is it perfect? No, it's not. But Father clearly still moves through what's going on in the nations today. People are still coming to the faith all over the world. So I just want to encourage folks with, with this heart of, you, you may have come into this understanding that, that the Father's instructions, what we talk about here in Torah portions, is his instructions are called Torah. You may have come to this understanding that those are relevant to you. But just keep in mind that there's a lot of people out there that also, they, they don't define it like that. They haven't realized that's the terminology that it's called. 
but they also have that same heart of they want to do differently in their life. Just like we all did when we came to faith, you have that moment of conversion, that heart repentance, right? That's often referenced in a, in a metaphoric way as you've been born again, right? You, you realize you had a change of heart. Okay. And so you have this idea that, Oh, I need to do differently in my life. How do I, I want to just love God and, and I respect Jesus. I love Jesus. I want to, I want to do differently. So you have to figure out what that looks like. And that's where you pray that they get to a church that teachers are actually teaching the word faithfully, but sometimes they don't. Sometimes they just get to a church where the best thing there is the praise music, you know, and the fellowship that they have with people in the youth groups or in the young adults groups or whatever. So it's, we just have to, I just want to encourage all of us that those are, that's super fertile soil to teach them the rest of the scriptures. A lot of my audience is a result of that. Of people that already have come to the faith and knowledge of God and Jesus Christ, but then realize there's more. How do I actually find discipleship? How do I learn what the book of Zechariah means or what the book of Isaiah means or what the, you know, as we're going through the Torah portions, what is this avenger of blood? Why does that have any importance? What does that mean? Oh, did you not realize did we, we actually see this being used throughout the, the old Testament, second Samuel, all the way back to Joshua nine and other places. I mean like this, so that all of it's connected. That's part of that growing in your knowledge and depth of insight with Christ to understand furthermore about the word of the Lord and how we are to behave and respond and act and our discipleship grows. This is part of our sanctification. Some people don't get that at other churches. So therefore they have this incredible heart of zeal and they get there and they're not getting any teaching. I just want to encourage all of us to be patient with them, love on them, share the word with them, you know, and um, this just pray that the father continues to lead them down this, the path of looking for the truth and discipling in his word and keep studying that Bible. So um, when I look in the chat, I know we took some live calls and if I can see any big questions pertaining to, to ones I may have missed, I, I've, I appreciate you guys putting your questions in the chat. All right, Bill at Tribe of Tali is asking, hey, Sean, why was Cain not killed after he murdered Abel? Well, there weren't a lot of people at the moment, <laughs> but I think I've actually talked about this in the past, and this has to do with the Torah portion today with the blood avenger. That's why he says to Yahweh, if anyone finds me, they'll kill me. He's like, I'll be a wonder on the earth. He's basically saying, I'll be a fugitive for all time. If anyone finds me, they'll kill me because they knew the law. They knew 90% of the law. I've talked about this in my Jubilees videos as well. So this is uh, the only other person alive that, at that point who would qualify as the blood avenger would be Adam, his father. So even though there's not a lot of kids right now at this moment, there's not a lot of family members that have developed um, at this early stage. That's he, he already knew, though, down the road, anyone finds me, they'll kill me. So he asks for protection. So... It was the father's choice to allow him to be protected. I'm, hey, I'm just going to take the story as it is. I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to question the father, allowing him to be alive to, to say that. But obviously, um, he showed him great, great mercy at that moment. So it's, uh, but yeah, I, I do believe the law was still in place. And that's why Cain was fearing of being killed for retribution. And by the way, they weren't. Um, they weren't in the land of promise. Uh, this is why he actually went to Cain left the land that was in that area. And he went to, to East to the land of Nod 
So the reason that I believe he went beyond the Euphrates. Um, to, and so he's literally out of the land of promise. So he's not threatening with famine uh, for the land of promise to be defiled by someone that had murdered in the land to. So anyway, I just think that's interesting. He's not living in the land still. Um, but, uh, but yeah, the father is, uh, he made a, a unique choice. I'm going to allow the father to, to take responsibility of that choice. I don't know why he didn't have him killed, but other than just the fact that he needed people to populate. I'm looking for an on-topic question, guys. Um, Hannibal, I've actually asked that question. All right, we, we addressed that question, I think, last week about tithing, or maybe it was two weeks ago about tithing. So you want to go check out the Q&A on tour portions from last week or the week before we addressed the tithing question pretty in depth. Yaz Bell is asking how long until we walk away from someone unrepentant of bad behavior or bad fruits? Um, well, it depends on what it is, I would say, because if it's directly affecting your life, you know, that's something um, I'm not encouraged divorce. So if you're talking about that person being your spouse, I definitely, definitely, I would encourage you to be on your knees praying for that person as opposed to, you know, trying to, trying to qualify uh, or justify divorce um, other than what scripture justifies it for. So, you know, that's, I don't, I don't know the circumstances, very vague question, but ultimately you'd have to, there's a lot that goes into this answer. Uh, just, you have to look at the circumstances and what's going on. You know, is this uh, abusive, violent behavior? Um, that's one thing. You have to set boundaries, strong boundaries for physical protection. Um, if it's just someone that's having a bad attitude, they're not walking with Yahweh to the level that you would like to see in their life, pray for them, pray for them greatly. Um, the very fact that you may be in their life may keep keep them on that mediocre track. Say <laughs> so you remove your presence from their life. Who knows? Maybe they, they'd spiral further into um, apostasy because, you know, you were the only positive influence in their life. So again, I, I'm just kind of spitballing here because I don't know all the circumstances. Super vague question, but um, yeah, just uh, pray for wisdom, and and it really does matter what's going on, what particular, what particular bad fruit you're seeing. Max Godfrey, yes, it's the seventh day. Genesis two, uh, Genesis two one through three. It's the seventh day. It's all throughout Scripture. It's the seventh day in the new millennium. It's the seventh day forever. It doesn't change. The weekly Sabbath, and then also the feast days. In Leviticus 23, Exodus 23, Numbers uh, 20, 29, those are also expounded upon to be different days throughout different months. But the, the weekly Sabbath is consistent, always has been, it's never changed. The seventh day. Uh, Scott, no, um, we're not doing a show on Paul tonight. We're, we're going to try to pick up next week. Uh, we couldn't get together for tonight for different schedules. But All right, guys, I appreciate everybody. Um, Okay, I'm not seeing. Tom, I, I apologize. I don't quite understand your question. Tom is asking a question. How does avenging the blood mesh with Sermon on the Mount teaching about retaliation? Um, well, there's a difference in someone murdering you versus someone offending you or striking you in the cheek. You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's Exodus 22. You can go into the rule, the rules for physically striking people who don't die. But once they die, the game changes. If you struck someone and they died, then they start looking at your intent. Was it intentional um, or was it unintentional? So, you know, Yeshua is not talking about, you know, someone that takes your coat 
or, you know, you give them your tunic as well. That's, that's different. Um, someone that oppresses you or persecutes you for your, for your righteousness. That's different. Someone that slaps you in the face physically to offend you, to assault you, or to try to instigate you in a fight. That's different than someone that stabs you, you know, or slice hits your head with a Sith or a sledgehammer a little bit different. Once someone dies, like the, the law kicks in. All right, guys, I really appreciate everybody. Hope that you enjoyed today's tour portion and, um, you guys remember to like share and subscribe if you're enjoying this share it with other people and i just hope that you guys are enjoying your day of peace and rest all right we'll see you next time